You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. Hi, hello. Hello. How are you doing? I have been better, but I've also been worse. I think that's kind of adulthood. True. I um, think that's it. I didn't have to respond to very many emails today, so I think that that's like thumbs up. Oh, I was sending emails all day. It's like the major thing about adulthood. You get and send emails and then you die. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's funny. The Twitter was blowing up today with just like, I don't know, everybody had something to say about the poll or the episode or whatever, and I was like, you guys need to only tweet at me after business hours because other than that, I will not be responding. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Before or after business hours in Central Time, the Twitter is all yours. <laughs> I think that's the thing that, like, you you prepare for being an adult your whole life, right? Whatever. But the thing about business hours... Yeah. ...really just comes in and crushes you. Because you can't do um, things that are also open during business hours during your business hours because you're doing your business during your business hours. Why is the doctor's office <laughs> only open during business hours? I don't... No. I can rarely get a haircut on the weekend. Like, this is... We have not actually <laughs> structured this out to work very well. No. Um, but I think that's just the tragedy of capitalism. It is. It is. Yeah. I gotta go back to the office. No. 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 Oh. What am I gonna do when I can't, like, pace and, like make noises while I'm working I don't know but you can wear sweaters because it is getting colder that's true thumbs up I was wearing sweaters anyway that's true cold (laughs) corporate air conditioning is unethical and sexist it is but here's the thing my office is so cold all of the men in my office have cardigans over the back of their their chairs and all wear like jackets in the conference room it is like yeah that just seems ridiculous it's banana crackers and everyone yeah they were like don't you guys want to be back in the office and I was like in the tundra no the worst part about it is like you try to wear normal shoes to the office and I don't know about you but then my feet just get really cold and then I can't feel them um here's the thing (laughs) I just I only wear tennis shoes to the office uh I can't do that I can't also, I can't really, like, there are many, like, a work-appropriate shoe that I can't wear um, because someone on the L once told me I had lovely feet and I decided that I would never wear sandals on it ever again. Uh, yeah, Wolfpack, just in case you were wondering, sometimes it's okay to not say certain things. Just hold your tongue. That yeah. was the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Some things can just stay inside. They don't need to be said. Yeah. You can some, think them. Yeah. But some things need to be said about MTV's Teen Wolf. This is the Teen Wolf Real Podcast, a podcast where we talk about MTV's Teen Wolf. My name is Christian. And I'm Julia. And I apparently have lovely feet. <laughs> uh, you know, I can't say that I have thought about it too much. I actually would prefer if you never looked at my feet. Okay, cool. Duly noted. I don't want people to be aware of them. <laughs> Wait, this is all going back to early Rewolf days where <laughs> I think feet are disgusting. Yeah. Well, I don't know. That's like an internet rule if you're a woman in general. No free feet. No free feet. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Full circle on the real wolf. <laughs> Season one, feet are gross. Season six, feet are gross. We're back. Yeah, we're pulling out the classics. Yeah. The hits. The hits. Playing we're, the hits. We're rewatching What's Your Number. Um. Also, before we get too far into this episode, I do want to say that we've had some incredibly generous donations to our coffee we could not be more thankful. We have no idea why you guys do that, um, but it warms our hearts deeply. Yeah. Uh, every time I get the notification, I'm just like, oh my God. I, people listen to us. People they think like I'm, us. People have assigned a monetary worth to me. That's really strange. <laughs> but we are deeply appreciative. So, so much. I, I can't even express. Um, and so we just want to really quickly say thank you. Anyway, you know what's crazy about it? Season six, next week we're done with 6A. Uh, that is really difficult for me to comprehend. Yeah. We're, we're going to be done with the Rewolf uh, almost like in its entirety by Krimis. Yeah. Which is pre, pre-Krimis, actually. Yeah, we're not even going to make that. it all the way. Yeah. Which is nuts. I know. I'm excited and also tremendously sad. Should we have a funeral for the podcast? No. Well, I do, it's not like you get to be around for your own funeral, so I feel like we can... Cel- we're going to call it a celebration of life, actually. Okay. I'm sure. Whatever makes you feel better. 
a celebration of life for the Teen Wolf Rewolf. Well, it'd be fun if we did like a live or something. Yeah. Yeah. Wolfpack, let us know. Let us know. What would you like? Um, you can let us know after we talk about this episode, season six, episode eight, Blitzkrieg. Yes, it was written by friend of the pod, Will Wallace. I and, will. And uh, directed by Joseph Guineer. I Have we heard that name? I think so. Okay. Before, but I don't, he doesn't have very many directing credits to his name, so. Interesting. Yeah. They just give an episode of Teen Wolf to anybody. Don't, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so it's funny. This episode felt very penultimate, which is interesting, as it is. We have two to go. Um, the ulti penultimate. I don't know. There's yeah. an actual word for it. Really? I think so. But I, I can't remember. So <laughs> I'm going to call it a tertiary finale. <laughs> All right. Good. Good, good, good. Um, but there were some parts of it we really, really liked. Um, I think we both think that like Will, friend of the podcast, handles like big some of the big emotional scenes really well. Yeah, I agree. Um, there was some stuff that I didn't like because it felt like many Teen Wolf things shoehorned in. Um, but we're gonna get get to it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just thinking about literally shoehorning things into an episode oh yeah um, they, it's a giant shoehorn yeah and then they're like just get in get there. in there um <laughs> so we'll get to it but first we have to do the 60 second recap yeah we do we gotta dip but you're going first oh horrible <laughs> i i know the, um i'm also particularly dreading this aspect um because i just i don't know i can't read anything today so it's gonna go really good yeah for everybody um are you ready like now <laughs> less than ever okay well uh just so you know okay. i'm gonna give you a minute okay starting right now so it's a flashback to nazi germany and uh douglas is proposing that the they the they the German soldiers use the wild hunt as like an army. In Styles' room, the sheriff starts to put everything together with a red string. And then um, the, at the police station, the pig pack are like, we need to go through the rift. And Peter is like, yeah, deuces, you guys are crazy. And then it, Chris and Melissa go to investigate the ghost rider. And then Douglas shows up and he's like, actually, I need the hellhound. And they're like, we're not helping you. And then they're like, oh, never mind, we are helping you. And then Case, Hayden and Mason are in the car. And Mason has Corey's phone and he realizes that Corey has been taken by the hunt because that, that must be the relic. But it's all pictures of Mason and that Corey. It's really cute. The big pack goes to look for the rift, and the baby pack goes to the police station, and Theo is in jail, and he says that if they break the sword, he'll tell them all they need to know about Douglas, and then Liam does break the sword, and he tells them that Douglas was, like, an occultist Nazi soldier, and he wants to use the Wild Hunt as, like, a personal private army for something. Anyway, the big fu- the big pack finds the rift, and then Douglas shows up to the Wild, uh, like, and he's, like, with Parrish, because he's stolen him from the bunker, and um, he's, like, he, the... Yeah. That is time. I really did worse than usual, which is desperately embarrassing. No, it's just really every once in a while, um, it's like your brain is just a record that is skipping. And you're like, and I mean, and then, uh, and yeah, um, hmm. and I have a feeling that I'm not going to do much better. You better, because I I, I missed a lot of details. (laughs) Um, On your mark, get set, go. Because a flashback to Nazi Germany, Mr. Douglas proposes that the Wild Hunt is used as an army. They mock him, and he kills one of them with his claws, because he's a Lohenmensch. The sheriff is in Styles' room, and he finds the threat in the thumbtacks and brings all of Styles' stuff back, including pictures. Scott plans to bite Styles if they can get him out, but Peter is like, "Uh, that's stupid. We're going to run away. Um, Chris and Melissa go to inspect the Ghost Rider body, and Mr. Douglas threatens uh, them to find Parrish. Um, And then she caves, and they you know go somewhere um mason's crying about Corey, and it's really sad the big pack is looking for the rift in the woods and they end up finding the tunnel and they're like oh it's underground the big pack is plotting in the sheriff's station and theo knows about douglas um and he's like i'll tell you about it if you break the sword so i don't ever have to go back and liam does it and he tells him that he was a lone mensch and uh, he found the hunt during the war and then got caught up with the dread doctors and then he got stronger and he wants the army for himself um chris tries to stop douglas and he uh sends both of them to the wild hunt to get parish the baby pack um has a little like tug of war with the dread with the ghost riders um and liam escapes but hayden and mason are both gone um douglas shows up at the rift uh, oh that Parrish. is it my friend so i got about as far as you oh i you actually got to the same point in the episode <laughs> but managed to get all of the plot lines whereas uh, there's full things i didn't talk about so would you like to round it out uh sure so sheriff uh shows claudia styles's room and when she steps in everything disappears and uh he realizes that she is dead um and 
like sees styles very briefly um parish can get through the rift so um he and douglas go and then the rift uh, ends up disappearing and they have a little fight with the ghost riders and then peter comes in to save malia and scott and then just gets taken again the guy cannot catch a break um the ghost rider is like kind of scared of lydia and leaves her and liam alone scott realizes that his mom is gone and everyone's just kind of regrouping at his house because they're the only ones left um noah the sheriff comes in and is like i have a son this is his name and everybody is crying and they're like well if we remember styles it'll open up another rift and we can get people out i guess so i guess that's the point yeah you called him noah (laughs) i know well i wrote it down in my notes because i was like it feels important that we're sharing names and we (laughs) maybe actually call sheriff Stolinski by his name once i think that the only person who does it canonically is melissa and claudia Oh, yeah. Noah. 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 It's a good name. I, I remember people trying to figure out what his name was, like, in early Teen Wolf fandom days, because he just, like... Didn't have one. Didn't really have one. Yeah. It might have been in the credits, but, like, yeah, I, I think people, like... I don't know. I feel like he, there was a couple, like, fanon names that weren't Noah. I kind of like that, though, because it's like, you know, when... Uh, until you reach a certain point in life, your parents... Uh, your friend's parents don't have first names, yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> They're just Mr. So-and-so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Works for me. Noah. Yes. Um, so a lot happening. Um, yeah. And we're going to be breaking down this episode through the theme of impulsivity. Yeah. Bread from desperation. Pretty much any idea is the idea that these guys are acting on. Um, and we see that from all of our characters, which is interesting, especially people who we don't necessarily consider impulsive. Like, we don't consider chris to be very impulsive no he's very methodical but he is out of options yeah um so i think it's gonna be an interesting journey for us to talk about is there somewhere you'd like to start um you know what since you bring him up do you want to talk about um the the mcargent couple yes (laughs) love them um so they are kind of at um odds (laughs) (laughs) because they both react very strongly in opposite directions to Douglas. Like immediately when he shows up, Chris is like, I'm not telling you anything. And like, Melissa's like, we'll tell you anything you need to know, (laughs) which is like interesting because it both, it kind of demonstrates that their primary impulse to a dangerous situation is like antithetical to the others. Um, And so when, you know, you see Chris have to be like, okay, fine, yeah, yeah, we'll tell you after Douglas pins him to a wall. It's interesting to watch him sort of um, concede to mm-hmm. her impulse. Um, and then later we kind of have an opposite thing where Chris jumps up and, and, and takes action um, and tries to shoot Douglas. It doesn't work. He raptures Chris, and then Melissa has no choice but to also but to concede to his impulse and let herself be taken. Yeah, that does kind of seem like a, a totally inevitable end to their particular storyline in this episode. Um, and it's, it's interesting because Melissa, um, you know, I, I do think she wants to work for the greater good, but her impulsivity in that moment comes from her um, her feelings for Chris, both as just like a person that she doesn't really want to see be harmed, but also she likes him. Yes. Um, and it's that like complete desperation that in that moment, like her only option is to say, we'll tell you, which is just kind of how, you know, torture works. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, tragically it doesn't end well for, for either of them. And, most of the time when you are acting on impulse only I feel like it often doesn't work out yeah although you know what it kind of reminded me of you know when people are like I would totally survive the zombie apocalypse yeah and you're thinking to yourself I would let myself die immediately (laughs) I'm not living through that no that sounds terrible yeah like it's not that I think that Melissa really has much fighting power it would have it would it was either she get gets raptured into the wild hunt or killed by douglas at that mm-hmm. point but if i were her i'd be like yeah just <laughs> crack <laughs> just away do it yeah yeah how long realistically like if you were trying to survive do you think you can handle the zombie apocalypse do you think you just go immediately you know what here's what i have never truly understood about 
zombie movies, just kind of in general. Okay. How hard can they be to avoid? <laughs> like, I mean, we can't even go to a bar <laughs> without someone getting COVID right now. So maybe consider that it would be very hard to avoid. Well, that no, I mean, like the zombies physically themselves. Okay. And then like you get bitten by a zombie and that's how it happens. Can, can zombies open doors? Can they use keys? They, I can't they like, got geez. I know, but every every <laughs> single like t- film adaptation I've seen that has zombies, they're just like you know, brains. They don't like use their keys. I feel like they don't have the fine motor skills in death zombieism. <laughs> I just really feel like it wouldn't. I would assess how difficult it would be. And then I feel like <laughs> what you're kind of proposing is like the horse sized duck, yeah. <laughs> duck sized horses. I Pretty think much. Zombies are the duck sized horses. They just overpower you. There's too many. I guess. I, I don't know. I think it would depend on how horrible the situation would be. But if it was like a point of no return. Yeah. I'm, I'm just dying. There's so many buildings to jump off of here <laughs> yeah. in the city we live in. Yeah. 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 We I could fall very strategically out our own windows. <laughs> yeah, I, I would give myself one really great last day on Earth <laughs> yeah. and then die. Yeah, yeah. Um, not to get too morbid or anything. <laughs> but hey, this is what we all have to plan for, the eventuality of the zombie apocalypse, apparently. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's interesting to me that um, these two sort of have a, a, a tertiary plot line. Um, but they're, the way that they have acted on their imp- their impulses is actually what amounts to the sort of final bad act, which is that Parrish is able to break through the rift. Mm-hmm. And it's literally one choice made by Chris and one choice made by Melissa. Actually, two choices made by Chris and then one kind of passively <laughs> made by Melissa. Well, and not only that, but the fact that Douglas finds them both there in a position where they're both like really vulnerable, that they are um, completely acting by themselves. Like we obviously Scott must have told them what happened and like where the Ghost Rider was Mm -hmm. um, so that they would go. But it doesn't seem like there was any plan involved. So going there put them in this incredibly vulnerable position to begin with. Yeah. Um, no, and, like nobody te- texted Scott to be like, Hey, checking out the body TTYL. Yeah. Um, and that seems really out of, um, not out of character necessarily, but like out of, um, step with what Chris would normally do, but because they're at this point where they're all panicking mm-hmm. and they're um, among the last ones left. Like we don't see any, big moments of people being taken from Beacon Hills at like after the lacrosse game, I don't think. Um, but it's mentioned multiple times by all of these characters that they're the last ones. Yeah. Um, so they obviously are like, we're coming down to the wire here. Um, so they're making choices they might not otherwise have made, which puts them in the position to get raptured. Yeah. Speaking of, um, that, like the fact that they're the last ones left in Beacon Hills, I don't really know why that that was something that was just sort of give, told to us. Like, there could have been three seconds of intro of just like watching the Wild Hunt, like canter through a downtown area, and we'd be like, "Oh, everyone's gone," you know? <laughs> yeah, it would have been easy. But this also, I think, brings me back to the perennial question of how big is Beacon Hills? How, yeah, they would have to tell us how big Beacon <laughs> Hills was, and they're trying to keep it a secret. Also, so. the idea that the sheriff and uh, Claudia, we're planning to go to Big Sur. If you're in Northern California, that's kind of a big trip. <laughs> yeah, well, they would have done it for her birthday or her anniversary. Oh, okay. um, yeah, I want to go there. I do, too. It looks beautiful. It really, really does. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I think everybody's just, like, doing whatever they can do because they've got nothing left. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's um, yeah. it's 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 interesting to see how, you know, these few moments of like final decisions can affect the whole shape of the episode. Uh, moving on, I kind of want to talk about the baby pack because I think the biggest act of impulsivity is Liam just breaking the sword. He is desperate, but he also like doesn't really do that much thinking beyond that. Like Liam is obviously impulsive. Mm. Yeah, so perhaps not the person who should have been in charge of the sword to begin with. Mm, that's on Nishiko. Why was she yeah. only one in one episode? Where's Why Kira? wasn't she like hanging out with them to make sure that things went okay? Yeah, 
uh, like it is technically Liam's responsibility, but she is the 900 year old Kitsune who is just unbelievably powerful or so we think. Yeah. <laughs> where is she? Where's, where's, where is literally every adult who could be making a difference, uh, who is not currently here? I'm assuming Deaton was taken. I guess. Do we see that? No. And I've just forgotten. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I, we, the wolf pack will tell us. <laughs> where is he? Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting. Like, they have literally no reason to trust Theo. None. Is it that he's <laughs> handsome? Come on. Um, but, like, at, at the slight chance of an answer. Mm-hmm. Liam breaks it. They, there's not even, and it's funny, there's not even really any backlash from Hayden and Mason where you think they'd be like, oh, I can't believe you did that, dude. No, and also no immediate consequences. Yeah, I was hoping for an immediate consequence. Like, Theo is still stuck in his little cage and presumably just left there. Yeah. <laughs> or perhaps the wild hunt got him too. Not sure. Um, yeah, but Liam just kind of decides, well, uh, I'm in charge. And if Theo has information, not even ca- taking into account the fact that, like, Theo is just a pathological liar. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he just does it. And he knows that there's no going back. And I think it's smart because on Theo's part, I think Theo knows that he can push Liam in any one direction because he already got him to almost kill Scott. <laughs> you know, yeah. he kind of knows how to just sort of like turn his eyes slightly to the to make him, you know, grab onto something. And I think it's a really interesting reversal from like the status that they had in the episode previous where it kind of felt like clearly... Liam had the cards. He's got the big bad sword that will send him back to the underworld. And now Theo even says, well, I have all the cards. And how long has he been waiting for that one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, He is a Peter in training. He's not quite there, but you know. He's a a PIT. Yes. As opposed to a CIT, a PIT. Um, Yeah. And it's interesting though, but... I don't really think either Hayden or Mason would have a leg to stand on really uh, getting upset Mm -hmm. that he had broken the sword because none of them are coming up with better ideas. He even says, can somebody else do the negotiating? (laughs) And I think that that is a little bit like, I think they all have the impulse to just break it. Mm -hmm. And Liam is just the one who is impulsive enough to do it. But I think given, you know, two more seconds, Hayden would have broken the sword, you know? Oh yeah. It's, it's all what they want to do because they have this piece of information dangling in front of them. It's just that Liam is the person most likely to act on it and most easily convinced by Theo. Well, there, I, I, all three of them are like at a place of real desperation where Mason has lost Corey. Liam is watching his best friend really, really suffer. And Hayden's just mad mm-hmm. all the time and hates Theo. So they're all just kind of at a place where they're at their breaking point and they don't know. Yeah, what well, else I do. also think, like, Hayden and Mason have been like, well, Liam's the alpha, so we will mm-hmm. let the blood be on his hands. We will let him make this big decision. Um, and, again, it's not – he doesn't take a long time to consider it. It's very quick, which mm-hmm. I think is really fascinating. He also doesn't hesitate at all to go after the Ghost Rider after Mason is taken. No. And I also think, like, it's interesting because – you see a moment of impulse from Hayden when she's being like got, got both hands wrapped in the whips of the riders. Mm-hmm. She she waits way longer than she's made the decision to actually tell Liam to go, mm-hmm. and you can kind of see that in her face. And I'm just kind of like that is a really interesting moment of impulsivity because she's made the decision but hasn't acted on it yet, mm-hmm. and then she waits until she can kind of just tell Liam like I've sort of made my choice. You need to go find Scott. Yeah, because what else is he going to do? Yeah, not check to see if Theo is still in the jail cell. (laughs) He is like priority uh, 50 underneath like literally everything else after he gave up all the information. Mm -hmm. And um, Liam's impulsivity does bring him to a point where he can help Scott only in telling him really what Mr. Douglas is. Which I yeah. guess is helpful. Um, but it kind of seems like he did all of that for very little. 
Yeah. Yep. But hey, he he got there. <laughs> he did. He got there not yeah. in just in the nick of time. He like kind of pulled a troll in the dungeon. He got there. <laughs> he said his piece and passed out. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the baby pack. I mean, nobody has a win. It, actually, that's not true. The sheriff is the only person who has a win in this episode. Everybody was just mm-hmm. flailing. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the big pack and Peter. The way that <laughs> the Peter way that- dips immediately after they start talking about their plan. I was like, this man acts on his impulses in the best way in this entire show. Which is so funny because he's one of the characters who does like the most planning and is the most steps ahead of every other character. But he also is the person who like spots trouble pretty much instantly. Oh, yeah. Well, I also think what's most interesting is that like Peter has been in the wild hunt for months mm-hmm. so he doesn't really get to have the upper hand he doesn't get to be the plan guy he doesn't get to be steps ahead because he is automatically miles behind so his only action is to act on his impulses which is to not go back to the thing that had him imprisoned for months in yeah. that stupid little train station mm-hmm. um yeah he dips immediately yeah and scott i think if he were thinking I think would have brought the baby pack with him because there doesn't seem to me to be a big advantage of having them separate like the wild hunt can appear pretty much anywhere yeah and to me it seems like there's a strength in numbers thing but Scott very impulsively is like well we're gonna go find the rift and you guys are gonna stay here because that in that moment for whatever reason seems like the right move well, I think you are a little bit uh, like you have a double-edged sword there. It's either you all stick together and you all get raptured and no one is saved. Or, or you hope that if one of you, one of the group gets raptured, <laughs> the other one can still save the day. But it's like you have absolutely no way. It's a, it's a Schrodinger's cat situation. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're back to the beginning of the season. Exactly. Um, like you have no way of knowing if your, your little baby pack has been raptured, yeah. which most of them were. Um, and I actually found the the most amount of like comedic moments in this episode came from the big pack because they do eventually find the rift. Um, and they spend most of their time on screen just trying to figure out how to get through it. Um, like I can't believe that Lydia is there and there's like not a brain cell between them. She doesn't even try screaming at it. I know. Like, she even says, she's like, oh, it looks like the Einstein-Rosen bridge, which I did not look up, full disclosure. I have no idea what she's talking about. But if she knows, if if it looks like something she knows, why doesn't she have a thought or a plan? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's sort of an interesting thing where, like, some point times your impulsivity can sort of uh, void you of intelligent thought. So their only thing was, like, we go, we find Rift, we figure out how to get into it. That's what we're going to do. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. They go to do it. And then they're like, we did not have a follow-up <laughs> action plan because we were just going on base instinct. Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, they get there and they're like, um, uh, you guys. <laughs> and they try to put a pipe through it. <laughs> Which is so funny. <laughs> they're like, well, it burns steel, so I probably can't go in there, I guess. Nobody pokes it. Uh, yeah, nobody tries to, like, stick a little finger in it's there. It's like how if you see, like, lava, you're like, I want to put my hands in that so bad. I would not have hands afterwards. No. Um, you know, it's it's <laughs> forbidden jello. Yeah. Like, you, I want to touch molten rock. Yeah. Um, also, like, mercury. Like, I know it'll make me funny in the head, but I want to touch it. Yeah. I People did just get to touch it. Once upon a time. My parents have talked about getting to play with Mercury on their desks. Yeah. I, I like saw Mercury in school. Mm-hmm. Um, I really wanted to touch it. Yeah. I really, but also, you know, I do feel like some, even the smartest people among us are um, sometimes overtaken with just like the dumbest impulses for absolutely no reason. Yeah. Um, I just feel like there have been many, many moments where I've done something and the person standing next to me is like, why did you do that? I'm like, I literally couldn't tell you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it's funny that like 
um, uh, among the three of them, I mm-hmm. feel like there's even more dumb shit that they could have done to try to get through. They don't even throw anything they don't, at it. They don't try hardly at all. Yeah, and it's funny because they their impulse leads them there and then their impulse fails them. Mm-hmm. They really fizzle out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then they are then confronted with Mr. Douglas. Yes. T- trying to... Who is the who is the most calculated person in this whole episode? Who gets Parrish because apparently Parrish can open this rift. I would love the mythological explanation for that one, Teen Wolf. I would also love the explanation as to why Douglas can control Parrish. Would love to fucking know. Would love to know. Why are his eyes a different color now? Do they explain in the next two episodes? I don't remember it. I don't remember it either, but this doesn't make any sense to me. I will again. We will find out. <laughs> Someone will tell us or Teen Wolf will tell us or it will never be explained and we'll forget. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll complain about it in the season wrap up. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. He, Douglas shows up and um, the fascinating thing about his, him being so calculated and Parrish's time in this um, episode is that like Parrish can't act on any of his impulses because he is mind controlled. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. He doesn't respond to Lydia calling to him at all, which should be the one person that he does respond to out of all of them. I will say that would have been more impactful had we seen them interact this, at all this Literally season. at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, it It's weird. Um, and then I think Scott's one good impulse mm-hmm. this entire episode is when he tells Liam and Lydia to get to the bunker. Yes. Because that saves them. And it really looks like he and Malia are completely done for. And then <laughs> Peter. Okay. Like I do love that Peter comes and shows them because this is also clearly an action made on an impulse. Yeah. Um, like he, Peter got like probably like 20 miles away and was like, Fuck. <laughs> Fuck, put his car in reverse, popped to Yui, and was like, this sucks, and drove back, like, just biting his cheeks. Having a conscience. Yeah. Um, that moment is, like, so funny, because, like, it's weird, because the person who you're, you, you almost are sitting there being like, dare it? Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> that is not the person I thought would roll out of the shadows. It would make a lot more sense to me. Um, like, I know that we're going through this whole thing where Peter has feelings about being Malia's dad, but it would make a lot more sense to me if he had, like, beef with Douglas. Okay, you yeah. Know? Or feelings about being Scott's alpha. Yeah. <laughs> like, it would be kind of a funny, like, it's always sunny situation <laughs> if Peter really didn't give a shit about Malia, <laughs> but did care about Scott. <laughs> That would be so bizarre. <laughs> oh, it would be, but it would be funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, but he shows up and saves them. And then his impulsivity is rewarded with him just getting sent right back. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because he sort of just has the moment of being like, I fucking guess. I hate you guys. <laughs> and it's funny. They're like sitting there watching him die. And he's like, I did not come back for you to watch. Get moving. <laughs> Run. Yeah, he was looking particularly handsome mm-hmm. in this episode as well, I will great. say. A bow of nothing. Um, Ian Bowen, handsome man. Two thumbs up. That's two handsome counts for us. Who else looks good in this episode? <laughs> oh, you said Malia looks really pretty. Yeah, I don't know what was going on with like the Hotties, makeup. Hotties all around. <laughs> yeah, everybody in Teen Wolf is just beautiful. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but Peter's impulse saves Scott and Malia. And they all go back to... Scott's home to regroup because his mom is gone. Mm -hmm. And then I think we have to talk about the sheriff. I mean, clearly all of everything that the sheriff unravels, he's doing on impulse. It is like something like base Mm -hmm. and instinctual about like the way that he would occupy the space in that room or how objects occupy the space in that room. And he knows it sort of inherently and that first impulse to start hanging up the red string, it's like, it is so interesting because it could be, I think it'd be something you'd be like, that's kind of absurd, easily ignorable, but he does it. And that is clearly the thing that triggers this memory. Yeah, it is. I, I really, really liked that scene. I really liked the whole bit with the sheriff. I thought it was the most interesting part of the episode. Oh, far and away. Um, But... It's so amazing the way that it 
it is a continuation of what he was doing with Lydia in the previous episode. And um, watching him place all of the pins around the room. Um, and what's so great about all of that is that when he finally does pull Claudia into the room and she insists that there's nothing there and eventually you know, he looks around again and, oh, there's nothing there. But because he had like gone through that process of following his instinct and his impulse, he's able to keep pulling on that thread of memory, so um, to speak, so to speak, <laughs> literally uh, and figuratively, and um, is able to bring not styles all the way back, but his room all the way back for real. Mm-hmm. Um, all because he picked up the string. Yeah. Which is uh, brilliant, I think. So good. It is. And and obviously, like, you know, I don't think that he... I don't think that he suspects that reliving Claudia's death is going to make this sort of version of her go away. But I think he realizes as he starts talking that that's what's happening. I think he can sort of feel her fading. Mm-hmm. I think that there is a much more interesting sort of a little bit horror movie way to do that scene and still have it be incredibly emotional. Had I been writing, sorry, Will, had I been writing, <laughs> I would have had him give that whole monologue about like the last good day and have her being like, no, no, no. Like I almost like an angry response to like, I'm not leaving. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? I just thought that the sort of like her um, waxing poetic about stuff that didn't happen wasn't actually all that affecting to me. You are free to disagree. I actually, I really liked it just because there was a clear um, cognitive dissonance between um, what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. And it really solidifies the idea that the sheriff is real and Claudia is not. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, like the audience has kind of been prepped for that, that she is not a real thing and she's just kind of an apparition or filling a void. Um, But that really solidifies the idea. And it's like, she's not even listening to him. Yeah, I get that. I think my more, my, my point more so, and it doesn't even have to be as dramatic as I was saying. Like, I just think that she has Claudia's space has been very much like a don't think about that don't open that door mm-hmm. and to instead have a counter as opposed to being like no don't think about that felt um incongruous with what we've seen a little bit I it's interesting because it's almost like she's trying to adapt to the fact that he did you know tear it on the wallpaper and he did find the door and she's trying to find a new way mm-hmm. to kind of get him to disengage with that idea and those memories by getting him to like refocus on her as opposed to just not thinking about it. Um, I don't know. It's like, she's like a little AI she's learning. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that whole scene is, um, really, really successful. And I, I didn't mean to be like, it shouldn't be like this. I just think that there's, there's more interesting, um, dynamics, at play well I think if there had been more focus on that particular aspect of the episode and it hadn't been so action-packed um it would have been easier to kind of delve into it and I kind of wish that that's the way that the episode had gone because I thought that that whole bit and and the moment at the end of this episode where everybody gets to just have a quiet moment of like real devastation that they are losing Uh uh-huh um I wish that there had been more of that because we've had, you know, a couple of episodes, really great episodes where people have had time to like reflect and really think and be cognizant of the weight that they bear. Yeah. Um, and it felt like that was kind of crammed in at the end of this episode. Then maybe this brings it, then actually maybe this is probably where my, um, you know, problem in is built is just a misallocation of time for each plot. In the I think episode. so. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. This all, this whole thing is sort of triggered from that, from that one impulse. And then, you know, it's funny because Sheriff, we, I almost wish we had seen the drive over because I want to see him seeing nobody's around and he is just going Mm -hmm. to the McCall house, hoping that somebody will be there when nobody is there. And it's like so wonderful that his like impulse is to be like, well, I need to be around the people who loved styles Mm-hmm. And he that that monologue he gives is just beautiful where he's sort of doing the memory lane. Um, we get Styles' name revealed in this episode. 
I okay. have never <laughs> felt anything about that. No, <laughs> it's fine. It's a little, um, it's I don't know. a little saccharine. I, yeah. I didn't want to say saccharine's a good, a good word. Um, because he talks about we're all here because of this one very impulsive decision my son made mm-hmm. to drag his best friend out of bed in the middle of the night to go look at a dead body. Yeah, thesis of Teen Wolf, impulsive. <laughs> Impulsivity. His uh, Styles doesn't think. St- styles just do. No yeah, think. No think, just do. Um, which was sweet. Um, and you're right. I really do wish that we... Um, had some establishing shots to feel the gravity of the situation um because it's not like the show's done such an excellent job of being like oh we're focusing on the loss of styles but it's not just styles now it's everybody yeah um yeah give me a wide shot of the town of the town you maybe just like a maybe just like an empty road with a bunch of cars with their alarms going off or some just something to like actually let me live in how empty this place is. Yeah, yeah. Because I saw Canaan. I know what what it can look like. You mm-hmm. know, um, it, it's interesting. I, I I think like you said, Sheriff was the strongest part of this episode. It's funny that I'm trying to nitpick the what I liked most about <laughs> this episode. Like, come on, Christian. Um, now we're probably gonna talk about more stuff we didn't like in this episode and more stuff we did because we're gonna move into Q's and O's. Do you have any questions? Not really. No. No, I don't. It we're it, well one. <laughs> I don't have questions. And two, we're deep in the season, so mm-hmm. it will be revealed to me or it won't. And whether or not it is, or, on. <laughs> and whether or not it is or isn't, will be discussed in the season wrap up. True. Uh, do you have any observations? Yeah. Um, I don't know. One of the first things that I wrote down was that this reminds me of Indiana Jones because that is kind of like the underlying plot of both Raiders of the Lost Ark and um, the Holy Grail, because um, it's the Nazis looking for the occult, um, and I, it's fine. Inciting event of Captain America one as yeah. well. It feels very it feels very referential, uh, in a way that I don't necessarily like for a lot of different reasons. Um I love the thread bit, we talked about that. Um there is a moment when um Lydia is like encountering the ghost rider with Liam and she like fawn soccer moms him in the car moment where she's yeah. like get behind she, me and she, like she baby bears him <laughs> yeah because she can protect him and i think that's what's so interesting about that is like scott sends liam to be lydia's protector stop underestimating her she's very powerful she is very powerful but the second that that ghostwriter shows up it's like okay so it's lydia who's yeah. protecting me <laughs> baby liam yeah um it's funny. I don't know why I was noticing Dylan Sprayberry so much in this episode. I just think he was doing a good job. I agree. A lot of face acting. He um, was doing great. His hair looked great. I also think he's kind of coming into his presence a little bit more in the show, mm-hmm. um, which I think will shine through even more in the next season when he is like... A, a big, big part of it. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Um, do you have any other observations? Um, I mean, I feel like I've talked a lot of, about them. I have more of like a complaint. Yeah. Um, I am just really frustrated and tired of the lack of like specificity in what villains want in Teen Wolf and like what the consequences of that are. I'm bored. Uh, he wants a supernatural army. For what? Okay. Yeah. Elaborate. For why? Yeah. Elaborate on the, no, I won't. Like, no, no, I won't. Uh, yeah, I, okay. You know how like in every, um, Disney princess movie, they have like an, I want song. Yeah. Like the team of villains need an, I want song. (laughs) I would like to know what they want because I, that 20 episodes of season five, I'm like, I don't know what these people want. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. If they don't want anything, just say they don't want anything. It's, I think the ghostwriters are great. I think the Nogitsune is great. Yeah. Um, it's, it's rather when you introduce somebody who has a little bit more specificity and who then like, has an agenda with no, like no, it, but it is, it's so vague. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. It's boring. And it's so frustrating. I mean, I have already expressed my frustration with the way that people will just like throw Nazis into things without engaging into like what, like the absolute horrors of Nazism. And I think that something that frustrated me is that 
they were trying to pitch um, Douglas as being like worse than or like, you know, he actually has this way bigger like supremacy thing uh he wasn't actually a nazi and it's like okay then you're diluting how evil nazis actually are which is unhelpful and again this is a reductive storytelling you could just make him have an evil like mission of supremacy that doesn't have to be tied into world war ii because you are not actively engaging with like in the intelligent like you are not engaging intelligently with the with the ideas you're bringing forth yeah it's just lazy it's just the easiest possible way to code people into good and evil um, without actually discussing what that means, which is especially frustrating on uh, Teen Wolf that has spent an inordinate amount of time discussing the differences between good and evil and how people can become evil Mm -hmm. and what drives people and why do people want power? Like those are questions that Teen Wolf has been engaging with since season one. And it's really frustrating to see it boiled down to Nazism. Like, well, no, I actually think if you're making the commentary that he like is a Nazi, like that is maybe slightly more hitting the mark. It's the fact that he's like, not, not even like, <laughs> yeah. And like, I will I'm just frankly, like, what was the point? There's literally no fucking point to using like, Nazi imagery as your backdrop you didn't have to make him be a world war ii figure like I don't like it just feels like you picked the most base level like representation of evil and didn't actually do any investigation as to why Nazism is synonymous with evil yeah um so I just found that lazy and boring and mm-hmm. again he we what is what did the ends mean? a supernatural army okay for what yeah okay I'm sure they'll explain and people will be like they actually explain in the next okay well I don't know now so so it <laughs> And again, we are eight episodes deep into this plot. And I don't know the the bad guy's agenda. Yeah. Boring. That's boring. And I never found out with the Dread Doctors. I never found out. So like, wh- yeah. I just can't, like, I cannot believe that it came down to the fact that, like, Marcel loved, loved Sebastian. Sebastian. Dude, also, like, the fact that the Dread Doctor soup that they put him in <laughs> made him stronger. I was like... Uh, okay. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It is ridiculous. Oh my gosh. All right. And let's then, Oh sorry, go ahead. No, but you know what actually upsets me even more about that? It's like, why did the dread doctors put him in the tank in the first place? It was to heal him from the wound from the whip. Yeah, and then they like used his juice to help people, but like how would they even know? <laughs> yeah, I guess he's a chimera, but did the dread doctors make him a chimera? Or did they know that before? Listen, it just gave me more questions. Stop stop giving me questions stop presenting ideas without like anything propping them up we you know like <laughs> like western town movie set western towns that are just like the facade yeah. of a building <laughs> literally teen wolf is just the facade of a show <laughs> and it's like listen i am so happy to watch things and like fully engage my suspension of disbelief yes um but it's like man teen wolf asks too much of me yeah it really asks too much well i think that i think the sort of like you know um best things about a show is when that asks dramatic questions and then tries to answer them or when it asks you questions and then you try to answer them and then they fill you in later Teen Wolf asks dramatic questions and doesn't answer them and asks you questions that you can't answer or you try and then they don't. Like, you're on your own. Yeah, and I'm tired. Um, I do love it, though. God, it's good. Uh, do you want to give us our pack stats? Yeah, we'd quite a few, actually. We'd eight eyes and one claw. Actually, there might have been more, but not no little shing moments. Um, Parrish was there. I assume he was naked. So <laughs> he was shirtless. Yeah. Well, not when he's wearing the fire retardant <laughs> shorts. Wait, wait, wait. That's the other thing. The thing that I just find <laughs> so funny is that, like, Parrish did this whole, like, he came to fight the Ghost Rider or the whatever, and then he runs back to the Argent Bunker to put himself in cryo sleep. Like, can he do that by himself? I guess so. I guess. It's just so funny to me. I just really, I, like, literally, you needed to do, like, two shots of Parrish fighting where you're just seeing a little bit of cheek and then never shoot him from the waist down and we like would not be laughing about the stupid <laughs> shorts. They're so long. They're not even like flame retardant briefs. Like, no. <laughs> I 
don't get it though. So I mean, long. like compression shorts, whatever. Like it's probably more comfortable to fight like that. I just do not understand how the hell they're <laughs> fireproof and the rest of your clothes aren't. It's like it's, the solution to this was not having his clothes burn off. Uh, yeah, but it's like it's like. <laughs> It's like the werewolves in Twilight when they shift and their clothes just rip apart. Yeah. And you're like, how many times a week do you have to go to the Salvation Army and buy new no, jeans? No, no, because in the book, <laughs> in the book, they get naked first and then they tie their clothes to their little werewolf feet with a little string. Yeah, but then you watch the movie and like it's just denim flying everywhere. <laughs> record i just want to clarify for everybody listening we like twilight <laughs> yeah a lot yeah it's just ridiculous it's just, it's just horribly stupid um and where were we at on pack sets do we have any sirens no i don't think so uh and a lot today actually yeah so, it was a lot i don't know today. i didn't see any ads I didn't I, okay this is not taking place in the real world so why would there be ads like this is this is taking place in like phantom beacon hills like it's yeah. not there's no real world locations. Actually, the reason why we didn't have any establishing shots for the whole season is that they didn't have the ad rev. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, no Macy's bags, no Toyotas. Yeah, to, to, to do those shots. Um, do you have an alpha of the week? Peter. Peter, duh. Yeah. Yet Peter, again. Peter and Sheriff. Sheriff, totally. Yeah. But Peter did like the most heroic <laughs> thing. And which the most is, like, cowardly thing. God, I love him. I love him so much. It is crazy how much my levels of enjoyment of certain episodes jump, whether or not Peter's in them. Yeah. I see like <laughs> Ian Bowen in the credits and I'm like, this is yes. the best day ever. <laughs> He's just so chef's kiss. Yeah. Yeah. Just like schmarm but in a way that i want to keep watching mm-hmm. yeah um i think that about wraps it up if you liked this episode you guys can leave us a review on i t- no i'm so out of whack if you like this episode <laughs> you can follow us on twitter at teen wolf underscore rewolf which is also our instagram handle and on tumblr at teen wolf rewolf and our facebook group is teen wolf rewolf podcast now if you really like this episode you can leave us a review on itunes uh it helps us find new listeners and it means a lot to us and if you leave us five stars in a review we read it out loud if you really, really like this episode, you can buy us a coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash Daniel or you can uh, buy one of our stickers on Redbubble. Other than that, I have been Christian. And I've been Julia. And we hope you guys have a wolf of the week. Uh, woo! woo!